gosh, there's a massive list of companies in the tech sector and beyond uh, that are slashing jobs. You're going to see a tech company that's laying off amount of their workforce. Thanks. Thanks for getting us off to such a fluffy, <laughs> light entertainment start. On this episode of Resi Week, we talk tech layoffs, Oliver IQ, and 2023 home sales. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. This is Resi Week, episode 416, Smart Home as a Service. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matty Scott for avnation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Jeremy Glowacki. He's the executive editor of Residential Tech Today. How you doing, Jeremy? Doing well, Matt. Great to see you again. And uh, thanks for having me. It's been you, You've been avoiding me since the end of college football, so... I'm glad you're back. <laughs> then we have Eric Smith. He's the CTO of Oliver IQ. How you doing, Eric? I'm glad to be here. Having a great day. Excellent. All right, gentlemen, we're going to kick this off with a group of stories that we're going to combine to make one topic that we're going to discuss coming to us from Business Insiders, CNBC, uh, Commercial Integrator, etc. The Gosh, there's a massive list of companies in the tech sector and beyond uh, that are slashing jobs, uh, everyone from Amazon to Microsoft to Google to Citigroup to BlackRock to Wayfair is cutting 13% of the workforce. Crustron cut a undisclosed amount because uh, they're private and they don't have to disclose that. Um, heck, Nike's cutting positions. All we're seeing, if you follow, uh, again, like Business Insider or really any of the uh, the stock market channels, you're going to see a tech company that's laying off a firm or sorry, a, a, a amount of their workforce. Jeremy, what does this mean for the industry and kind of our industry at large as we watch a lot of the firms, including some of the ones directly in our channel, uh, laying people off? Is this any cause for concern or is this just, as they say, restructuring, um, evolving all those different fun terms they they throw around to justify uh what they're doing um well i i think that it's it's relevant to our industry uh in just the sense that we're part of the tech business but i don't think that it directly applies so much because we're so, such a, a niche within this bigger industry and you talk about big tech and the way that they operate and and the volume of employees that they that they have and you know, we have a few companies in our industry that are, are fairly large, but I mean, they're not in the, the level of an Intel or a Microsoft or that, that type of company. And, and you know, obviously you do see Crest John having some layoffs, but um, I would imagine that's probably a fairly small amount compared to what some of these other companies are dealing with. Um, so I mean, it's, it's definitely an indicator of some kind of an economic issue, and that always ties into the folks who are paying for these systems that are going in in the CI channel, any blip in the stock market or economic woes can affect someone's confidence in their willingness to spend big dollars on their home and buy systems that maybe aren't essential um, to to their day to day. Um, you know, there there are parts of what we do that are toys and there are parts that are utilities at this point. We're getting more and more into the utility phase, so hopefully we're less affected by the whims of someone's decide decision to spend some money on their home to improve it. But 
you know, we're still talking about people who um, are emotionally attached to their, you know, their, their, their I guess their homes, but their um, portfolios, that type of thing. And they can react in a negative way if they see stories about tech, um, you know, struggling. So I don't think it really affects us from a day to day in terms of personnel and that type of thing or access to products, but it could definitely be, uh, you know, a negative impact in a broader sense. So that, that's the way I look at it. That's a good point. Eric, when, when I read these, when I, when I try to cover this, um, and the one that really hit me was Wayfair, uh, for a couple of reasons, but one of the analysts I was, I was listening to referenced what it means because they scaled up dramatically during COVID because people were shopping at home and renovating their homes, et cetera. And then as we've come out of the pandemic, obviously they're watching their numbers kind of tumble back to where they, the, where they were pre pandemic. Um, and the, the analyst I was listening to was reflecting that in terms of uh, home renos in general and some other numbers that were related to that. But we see a lot of right sizing, um, restructuring, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, the, those catchphrases are thrown around. As we see this happen, and as we see kind of to Jeremy's point, a lot of these are kind of executive positions that are being eliminated. Does that affect our, you know, kind of market opportunity as we're moving forward in our industry? I think it can. Obviously, if there's fewer executives that have jobs and the guys that are typical customers, that can cause challenges. But what I've seen, at least with the, the, the integrators I talk to all the time, they have more of a hard time just hiring enough guys to do the jobs they've got. So maybe they might get a couple fewer jobs, but they might just slow down their own hiring. I'm, I'm not an economist, but what I, I, when I do talk to my money manager guy, what he's telling me that he's seeing is um, all the capital that came into the market during the pandemic and after just all that money that flowed in is still here. And so that's why stocks don't tend to be going down, but unemployment's also in a good position. I mean, we're seeing all these layoffs, but the unemployment numbers don't seem to be going up. I don't know what's going on, but it's hard, pretty hard to have a recession or real bad challenges when, when there's full employment and there's plenty of capital in the markets. This is Aaron Marmoran of EdTech. The world of higher ed AV is growing rapidly. That's why each month we hear from the best and brightest from colleges and universities all over the U.S. Check out EdTech on avnation.tv or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right. That's a real good point. All right, gentlemen, let's change topics for a moment. This comes to us from strategy.com and a good friend of the show, Mr. Ted Green. Oliver IQ orders a juicy or sorry, order a new juicy smartphone and get a side order of smart home with it. Uh, go read this article by Ted. As always, it's quite in-depth and covers kind of the full facet of Oliver, Oliver IQ. If you haven't uh, seen Oliver IQ, go check out some of the coverage um, of Oliver from CES, et cetera. Um, Eric, give us a, a, a quick overview of what Oliver IQ is and how it relates to our channel. Yeah. So in 2013, we took control for public, got to go ring the bell on the NASDAQ and do it all that stuff. I stayed for another year and then I kind of left and basically retired. I'm, I was on some boards, but I mostly started playing a little bit more. I'd worked a long time in the but I kept watching the market change and watching what was happening. And, you know, when we started Control 4 in 2003, 
there was no iPhone, there was no iPad, there was no Nest thermostat. All these IoT devices didn't exist. Even Zigbee and Z-Way were just getting started. So there were these, there were all of our AMX and Crestron and Lutron products out there. Uh, but there weren't these broad market things in a Home Depot. You couldn't buy a smart light switch or a smart dimmer in a Home Depot. And we watched all those products come to market, and actually some of them are quite good. And they have their own little app on the iPhone, and you can control them and configure them. And we kept thinking someone was going to really bring those together in a seamless way. And there have been lots of attempts, lots of little home hubs, you know, smart things, Alexa, Google, uh, Home Assistant, uh, Apple, uh, HomeKit. There's just lots of products that have gone after it. But but still, most consumers don't really have what I call an integrated smart home where devices work together. The kinds we deliver in the custom channel, where we deliver these great systems where everything's integrated. And, and when you push the good night button, the lights go off and the security system arms and the doors lock and the blinds close and the AV shuts off. They don't have that, even though their products are out there to do it. They just don't work together. And we tried to figure out what was holding that back. And we decided the fundamental flaw was uh, even with all these smart devices out there, if you actually wanted, wanted them to work together, there were only three options. One option is you go to a custom integrator. And, and with those, you get a great system. And they do a great job. And people love them. And they love their integrators. And it's, it's a great way to get a great system. The challenge is that's price-wise out of reach of the average consumer, as we all know. It's, it's not what every guy that works just as a software developer or as a, as a worker on a factory line can afford to do. The next choice is uh, what I would call security plus. Think of your ADTs and Comcasts and Vivens. They, go, they might go door to door. They might talk to you in a store, but they offer you what they call a smart home, but it's really a security system with a smart door lock, a smart doorbell, and a thermostat. And, you know, and, but they will at least service and maintain it for you. And then the last choice is kind of you're on your own. Go, go get a smart things hub, go get a home kit and set it up. And you start trying to hook all those devices together. And you know what? If you take an Alexa and install a skill for a ring doorbell, it works pretty seamlessly. But as soon as the average consumer or even us guys that are pretty good at this start getting 5, 10, 15 devices integrated on one of those, you get it all working. And in a couple months, things stop working. And it, the problem is it just there's a maintenance issue there. And for the average consumer, it's too complex in the first place. I I remember back in the early days of Nest, we were, I was friends with uh, the founders there. They, they had been talking to us about what they were doing. And when they shipped their first 500 uh, Nest thermostats, they actually did a really good job of making it easy to install. But in the end, 80% of the people had a hard time getting it installed on their own. We think consumers want help with this just like they want help with their plumbing and their electrical and their HVAC. And so that's what we did. We said, let's build a platform that makes it possible for a service provider to offer smart home as a service. So there's a way for them to manage it remotely. It's tied back into uh, CRM systems and scheduling and ticketing systems so that they can actually provide it as a service and manage and maintain it for the consumer. And the consumer also can do whatever they want with it too. So they're not, we're not locking them out, but just make it possible to kind of offer that. And that's our big, that's what we think is our differentiators. We're smart home as a service. And, uh, and we work with all the popular products you can go buy anywhere online or in stores. When you talk about service providers, who who does that reflect? Are you expecting that to be your telcos, your your alarm companies? Do you expect that to be the custom integration channel on the you know entry to mid market level? I would suggest it's all of the above. And the nice thing is our system kind of scales to deal with those different situations. We've got carriers talking to us about just making a basic smart home package that can be right in their own app, and they're going to give it to their customers. 
They just want to create a stickier relationship so that when Google Fiber comes down the street, people don't just switch in a heartbeat, that they'll have second thoughts about maybe moving just to reduce churn. But those will probably be pretty simple systems that will be deployed, you know, a few devices connected to the smart app and, and enabling that sort of thing. We also are talking with home builders. We're working with uh, big box resellers for sure. But we're seeing quite a few custom integrators that are interested in what we're doing. And uh, we have an offering that's pretty good for them. But if there's still going to be that, I don't know, in my control for life, a large percentage of our dealers were that 10 to 15 homes a year. They're all very big systems. And, uh, and that's what they're doing. We're probably not the right product for that. There's not enough dollar volume in our product and there's not enough margin total to support that kind of uh, offering. But for the integrator that's interesting in going after 100, 200, 300, 400 homes a year or more, and actually tackling those and trying to build a nice recurring revenue stream, we think there's a tremendous opportunity. We think this is the next, like, what home security was 40 years ago, where these guys could build these nice recurring revenue streams. We think smart home as a service can be a very similar thing and could be great. It come a great opportunity for those who are interested in doing that. And we're actually starting a series of webinars this week for the custom integrator channel. If they want to come learn more about what we're doing and how that applies. That's fantastic. Uh, Jeremy, let me come to you real quick on this. I've pushed on this show and anywhere anyone will let me talk uh, for the last probably two, three years that the middle market is becoming entry level and we're going to have a incredibly widening gap between entry level slash middle market and you know full automation luxury um is this the disruptor that the industry's kind of been waiting for to show up to bridge that gap between diy do it for me any of the the di side aspects of things and have a platform that will allow an integrator to, to, you know, tackle the entire home with a solution that works that, you know, doesn't need to be as complicated as the majority of systems that require one of the traditional automation platforms. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, this is, um, this is exciting. And I mean, you, you, you kind of bundle this with all the news of, um, you know, snap, Snap One doing their software as a service, and Savant having their their own version of that. And that's not smart home as a service, as, as Oliver IQ is defining it, but um, it's still a a remote access um, solution. And to put this at a level where you could have a volume integration kind of opportunity, back to when folks were doing, um, you know, um, builder developer kind of relationships in those early days of, of, of integration, smart home, uh, production home builders, you know, developing some sort of a package solution for those. You don't hear as much about that um, these days. It's gotten so much more luxury, but um, to be able to expand into into a broader mid-market for sure, I know there's a there's a need out there. I mean, it goes back to just, you know, that whole home concierge thing or that home IT director thing. People in the mid-market want someone who they can call or to have some kind of a access point within their apps, their home, you know, integrated solution in their phone to where they can press a button and say, what's wrong with my home? Why isn't this thing working? Can you give me some sort of a time frame where I can get an answer um, to fix this um, that I'm having, you know, um, access trouble of some sort? Um, it, it, 
to me right now, hearing Eric talk about it and having done the you know press briefing with with Eric and Will West, um, you know the the mystery of who those partners are, those initial partners, I think is what I sh I can't wait to hear who those are when they're announced publicly, because then it's going to start kind of gelling and clicking as far as what we're really talking about, what services we are actually seeing applied with the solution here. Um, that that's going to be exciting, and um, you know who what custom integrators have the volume, how they see it applied in their businesses, because that's the channel, obviously, that we talk about on this podcast and I write about with my publication. And to see those who are really kind of like the trendsetters in our industry that say, yeah, I can actually use this. I can make this work because I do want to do enough volume that it makes sense for Oliver IQ to, you know, provide that um, that that solution. So I, I think there's a lot of um questions just in terms of who those early partners are going to be you know when eric can tell us about it that's going to be exciting and then i'll start to click for for me i do think it, it it's great that we're we're seeing folks interested in the channel to figure out how to apply it to their businesses though that's a good point eric let me just ask you one quick question before we move on you mentioned rmr and we've seen up, up here and again i'm in i'm in canada and i recognize that as a different market We've seen some of our big telcos try to get into the smart home as a service model, and it hasn't lasted. They've they've folded it fairly quickly, and the feedback that keeps coming out from both customers that were you know trying that model, as well as from the majority of integrators that I talk to, is there is a massive subscription uh, fatigue going on. How do you counteract that looking at a product like this that, again, is kind of based on that subscription RMR market or, or, or model, I should say? There is absolutely subscription, uh, those kinds of issues. I can't remember the term you just used, but fatigue, <laughs> fatigue. It absolutely <laughs> exists. People don't want another subscription, but I'm also happy to pay for an app that has an annual subscription if it does something I want. And I'm, I usually will look for the one that's actually good. And, uh, and maybe that's because I'm the guy that took control for a public. I don't know. But, but, uh, <laughs> but um, I, uh, I think if you add real value, people are willing to pay for the things that make sense. And I think we're going to add real value. And I'll tell you one of our models, and that's one of the challenges people come to us during this, when we were at CES showing the product for the first time is what's the price. We can't tell you what the price is because it's our partners who will set the price. We know what our costs are to them and how we bill. And we have a few different models. But I can tell you this, that when people ask that question, I said, you know, we have some. I think the most common deal will be, think, $30 a month, 30 to $35 a month. It includes monitored security and it includes a 24-7 call center. So you can actually have help with any of your IoT devices and they'll be able to support you. And it's almost mm -hmm. like maybe buying a Geek Squad subscription or if you've seen the company Hello Tech out of Seattle. They offer a $200 a year package where they'll take any calls on any of your IT devices in your home and they'll come to your house one time a year for that price point. We think we can be similar to those kinds of things and really make it possible to make those things work. And I think a lot of consumers will actually look at that seriously. Now, on the other end, we have people looking at giving it away just to reduce churn. Just if they right. can stop churn by 20% annually, it would more than pay for them to pay us a few dollars a month per subscriber that uses our service or even sub dollar per month per subscriber. If we just put it in every router and it's in every single device, they can just turn it on whenever they want to. And we think it more than justifies itself. But, but 
in that way, we're just taking over. We're actually giving you more value for the price you already pay for your home security. And the nice thing about that too is uh, for the average consumer, probably 12 to $14 savings on their homeowner's insurance. And the more it becomes that mid, or, mid to upper end market, probably it's free. Just having monitored security itself. And, uh, and we make it possible for them to offer that. They don't have to do the call center too. Part of our offering is say a custom integrator wants to be the truck roll and they want to do the install and do the sale, but they don't want to actually be the people that take the calls. We can answer on their behalf. Now we charge them, you know, I think five to $7 per month to take those calls, but we can take the calls and do the support for them and they still get to bill and get the RMR. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. We will uh, be watching with bated breath to see what happens with that. All right, let's hit our last story of the day real quick. This comes to us from CE Pro. Uh, the 23 home sales hit the lowest number in 29 years, but construction is faring better and we're seeing an increase of uh, permits being issued for new builds. Uh, go read through the article. It hits some kind of interesting uh, information that on one hand, uh, solidifies kind of what we've been thinking is going on. But on the other hand, um, I personally was surprised to see that uh, permits had increased this year because I know that is not happening up, up here. Uh, again, different country. I get it. Jeremy, let me start with you on this one. Um, how do reports like this and specifically this report, how does this, how should this affect an integrator's forecasting for 2024? Well, I mean, it's interesting to to hear that combination of things because I'm seeing that in my local community, and it's, I mean, it's a fairly stable economy in our in our particular very local suburb of Indianapolis. Um, doesn't go too high, doesn't go too low, but it's also fairly um, affluent kind of community. Not to brag, but <laughs> not me, but the people around me seem to have money. What a humble brag. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to say that without sounds really <laughs> annoying. Uh, hey, we chose our community, but uh, they didn't necessarily choose You did us. a great job. Um, so we we see like a lot of new construction, but uh, in my neighborhood where sale, home sales were just booming for a while and the prices were going up to the point where it's like, great, the, the value of our home is great, but I couldn't afford to move, you know, because the next house is going to cost me that much more, you know? Um, but the, the sales have just kind of like stopped. Um, and, and now we're dealing with this situation where, uh, investor companies are kind of creeping in again and trying to buy up homes and rent them out. Um, we, we had a, a little bit of a scare on the HOA and people are like, we need to put, you know, rental restrictions in because of this. And you just don't want that out of state investor who doesn't maintain the property. And someone, you know, said that this one home rented out and we introduced ourselves and turns out it was Anthony Richardson and his, um, and his fiance, the new quarterback of the Colts. So, you know, it's not like <laughs> it, we're, we're having problems or anything. It's just that folk that the houses just aren't selling older houses are not selling, but they're, they're building new construction. I think our industry, a lot of what we still see is new, con new construction is where a lot of the projects go. We, it, it comes and goes as far as what retrofit projects are, you know, are, are, are doing well. And, but a lot of times it is those builder relationships. And, uh, if you have those in, in a luxury build kind of community, then you, you forecast for, for that business coming your way. It, it seems to me, um, now again, 
talking like tract homes, that type of thing, that's a different market typically from the CI channel. Um, but I, I think if, if you're starting to see those, uh, those areas getting cleared, which I'm seeing around our, our community, there's expansions of neighborhoods or new neighborhoods being built. That's where those, those builder relationships are essentially. You start to, to, to get connected with those folks and plan out your schedule you know, for the next couple of years accordingly. Eric, they're alluding in this article and everything I'm seeing from NAHB, et cetera, that the increase in starts, the increase in permitting is supposed to help the volume problem or the availability problem in housing, which in turn is supposed to drive the price down, which if the price goes down and people can get into homes better, I, again, that, that just trickles down into our channel again, with people having more disposable income, et cetera. Is that like, like with this report coming out saying that, you know, essentially permits have gone up 2%. It's a 2% increase, which is fantastic. But unless that's coupled with a reduction in interest rates, et cetera, that's not really going to help. What is the, put, put your hat on and, and, Tell me what you think the, the the next couple of years is going to look like if they continue on this trend of increasing permits and starts, but potentially that, that interest rate doesn't drop, thus money's thinner. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think interest rates, I mean, I, I think they will drop, but also if they just stay flat, people will eventually start thinking about buying and doing things. And I think what was really driving things before and what was making the prices go up was not only are there more people needing homes coming into the market, needing to buy something. And there's a shortage in housing still. It's just, just they're not selling right now, but it's not like there's like we have have low occupancy. Um, but I think it's interest rates that are stopping people from buying new things and, and slowing things down. I, but I think you get used to an interest rate. It's amazing what happens. I mean, when I bought my first home in Dallas in 1993, I was thrilled with a seven and a half percent interest rate. That was like one of the best rates that had been around forever. We just felt like, man, this is free money. And uh, we were thrilled with an interest rate like that. And I know it makes a big difference because for people, but I, I think interest rates will come down. But as long as they stay flat and they're not going up, I think what you'll see is people eventually need to buy a home or they need to change and they're going to go spend the money and they're going to go do it. And I, I think we'll generally see things get a little bit better. Uh, again, as long as unemployment stays low and capital and market stays high, I think housing has to kind of get better. But I think it's just that lack of investors buying homes like crazy, like they were for almost everyone's buying two or three homes to have these Airbnb properties or however else they were renting them. And when the interest rates went up, especially if you're buying us, not your for your own home, the interest rates are much higher. I think that slowed people down. I know it slowed me down in the investments I was doing. I unfortunately was developing a hotel in the middle of COVID and, uh, and it's a, it was a pretty, Perfect. a Weston. So a pretty good size hotel. And man, <laughs> Uh, we got just taken to the cleaners after the overages for timing and, and hardship from, you know, the contractors put on us in the state that we were building and made us deal with. And now we're dealing with high interest rates on top of all that. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right, gentlemen, we are going to wrap it there. Thank you both for joining us. Eric, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Oliver IQ, where can they do that? Just go to www.oliveriq.com. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Jeremy, thanks for joining us. If people want to connect with you, learn more about residential tech today or uh, find your podcast, where can they do that? Yeah, just go to restechtoday.com for the magazine's uh, daily content and uh, 
we also have links to Residential Tech Talks, our podcast on there. So uh, please subscribe either on YouTube or um, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to enjoy the, this type of content. Thanks for having me on. Hey, not a problem. Thank you both. Uh, thanks to you for joining us as well. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me at Matt D. Scott on Twitter or X or any of the other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation.